Hello and welcome to the Book Dialogue. This is Sarah and Rebecca and we have something exciting for you today. And welcome back to the Book Dialogue. This is Sarah and this is Rebecca and I am delighted to be back, Sarah. We haven't been on the Book Dialogue for a while because we have been so busy reading. <laughs> And I am excited because it's your turn to tell me all about it. Well, I, I'm actually quite intrigued by this book. So I'm hoping that if I share a little bit about it, then perhaps you might be intrigued as well and think about reading it. Or alternatively, if one of our listeners is all of a sudden uh, captured by the thoughts presented in this book, well, maybe we can have a little bit of a conversation on our website at thebookdialogue.com. That is thebookdialogue.com. <laughs> I think it's also thebookdialogue.ca. It could be. I think we got both of them. We've got everything covered, Sarah. <laughs> well, you can just leave it to two women. They will make sure that the bases are completely covered. And talking about women, I think this is what it's all about today. That's that right. was a good introduction. Yes, a lovely segue into this book that I have finished reading. It's called How Women Rise. And it is written by Sally Helgeson and Marshall Goldsmith. Now, both of these two individuals are very well known as life coaches, business coaches. And in fact, Marshall Goldsmith has written a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it is kind of the epitome of what people should be considering if they're looking at how they can improve themselves and do better in their business. Is this a business book? Well, you know, it's interesting because I had gotten this book. I'm right in the middle of my MBA, as you know. And one of the things that's always been um, quite intriguing to me is the fact that there is a very different understanding of how women approach business and how men approach business. And it's one of the basic premises of this book is that women and men are very much bound by societal understanding of roles. And in fact, we are the creation of those expectations. And my initial kind of feeling on this was, oh, well, then, no, 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 this, this is just stereotyping. Women are this and men are that. And we really should be thinking past that and really looking at personalities. But they make a very compelling case for the way in which men approach their work and how women approach their work, primarily focusing on the fact that our environment has created within women a certain understanding of how they approach things and how they do things. And this book in particular speaks to how women in particular are very much hemmed in in reaching that corner office and their approaches and how they work within the work environment. And it very particularly lists 12 habits that women need to work through or break or understand in order to be able to move forward in their career. Okay, so you're telling me that women have to improve and they have to work on things? I take a little bit of exception to this, Sarah, <laughs> because I don't want it to sound as if we have to move and become different to achieve things. 
Well, it's it's interesting because yeah. I, I came have, at it from that same angle. Well, let me see if I can be compelled. I picked up the book because I first and foremost am opposed to the concept of gender stereotyping. Because I feel that we are who we are, and you know whether I'm a woman or a man, really doesn't in any way impact on my abilities, my talents, my expertise. But this book actually lists out some of the things that are, through their research, highlighted in the way in which women work in the workplace. Okay, so do tell. Okay. Let me go through basically the 12 habits that they refer to. And we can debate them. And the book actually goes into a lot more detail. And I don't think we have time to do that. But the the first habit is the reluctance to claim our achievements. And a lot of that, I think, comes from maybe a background that says, you know, we shouldn't be braggarts, that our work should speak for itself. And we shouldn't really have to stand up and, and talk about our achievements. As opposed to, in the book, they talk about how men have absolutely no discomfort in in laying out that I accomplished this and this and this, whereas women tend to be, and this is where I get a little uncomfortable about stereotyping, but they tend to be a little bit more reserved in terms of, we did this, um, not I. A couple things here. One, we need to come back to this because it's obviously going to be more than a 10 to 12 minute (laughs) session. We do things in community. We always have. So when a man says, I have achieved that, it really was in community. Somebody else was there helping him. Women say we because they acknowledge the we. But you're saying that holds us back because we say we. Now the question becomes, what are we trying to achieve? The corner office? Well, and that I think is where this book fails to really connect back to the idea of what is your personal mission statement? What is it you hope to accomplish with your life? Does success for you mean that CEO position, corner office, top of the pecking order? Is that really what success is and that what happiness is? And I think that the book, you know, is very much predicated on the idea of a tool by which women can evaluate how they approach the workplace, specifically looking at women who are in management, but not in the most senior position. And even if they are in the most senior position, what holds them back from that next step forward? Because I think that it ties this habit we just referred to, to expecting others to recognize accomplishments spontaneously. So if we're reluctant to talk about it, I wrote a book, or I did this, or I made a presentation, then we won't talk about it, but we expect everyone else to know that you've done it. And so when it goes into these first two habits, really talks about balancing between being a person who says, well, I've done this when you're doing through your job performance with your boss, being able to communicate very clearly your value of what you've done. And not having that expectation that in that performance, that the person that is evaluating you knows spontaneously what you're doing. And then going away, going, well, you didn't recognize this and I worked so hard. And they all have an understanding that things and projects need to be done. It's what you bring to the table. So knowing what you're doing, being able to articulate what you're doing is a good place to start to get yourself at the table. Because what you're doing and what you want is to be at the table where the decisions are being made. Is that? The- that, in a nutshell, those two habits refer to that. But at the same time, what 
The third habit, which talks about overvaluing expertise, is that our unwillingness to be able to put ourselves out there because we don't feel we are capable of it. And we'll, we'll talk about it or we'll do it when, when we know how to do it. Um, and, it, and it talks, I think, really what that task or that habit refers to is more uh, risk-taking. Women tend to be more risk-adverse than men. And again, when we talk about women and men here, we are very You're, broadly. We, and we have to do this. And we have to be very careful. And But the research that they have is very specific on each one of these. And they, mm-hmm. they have um, copious sightings. The book itself is very much mainstream. It is not necessarily um, an academic piece of work. I think that the two authors have extensive experience in academia, but this book is is intended to be for people who are more inclined to read more popular self-help books. The next two habits that he referred to are kind of linked. It's building rather than leveraging relationships and failing to enlist allies from day one. We are reluctant to actually consider calling up a friend and saying, look, you know, I've got this this business deal. Will you go to bat for me if I go to bat for you? Because that, that seems manipulative in a relationship, whereas men have no problem doing that. I'm not sure. I think that it depends on your relationship. If I have a close relationship with a, another business associate who's a woman, I'm not sure why I wouldn't pick up a phone and say, would you? But apparently women have this habit of that they will not leverage a relationship because it seems to diminish the relationship. Or they don't want to ask for help because they're imposing on someone else's time. No. I should write this book and you (laughs) should too. One of the things when they get into kind of wrapping up, every single one of these habits has a positive as well as a negative side to it. So if you don't leverage your relationship, it's because you value your relationships. Interesting. If you have an authentic relationship with somebody, why wouldn't you ask for help if you need it? When they go through and they list these 12 habits, I could sit there and I could say, well, yeah, that, that's a negative, but think about the positives. Failing to enlist allies from day one is going into a new position and not being willing to admit that perhaps you don't know everything, that going back to the overvaluing expertise, I, I can't admit that I don't have the expertise, so I can't go to somebody else and, and ask for help because then that would diminish my ability to do my role. And give them the power to know that I didn't know. Exactly. And and so whether or not that's a male or a female habit or characteristic, the bottom line is that there is no reason why we can't be willing to admit that we are all learners. I'm going to ask you because this is a book that you've read, but it's almost the antithesis Brown. What was it? Brené Brown, the spirit, yeah, the vulnerability. How would you compare this? Well, it's interesting because one of the habits that they they talk about, it's called too much. And it talks about, you know, we we provide too much information that we need to be concise uh, and there's there's brevity in how we we communicate with others. And that sometimes you don't want the whole story. Authenticity doesn't necessarily mean full transparency. If having read Brené Brown's, she talks about vulnerability actually being a strength. 
And I don't see a disconnect between the two, but I think it's um, it's understanding and valuing that authenticity in relationships is predicated on a willingness to risk and to open up. And I think that's where Brené Brown comes in. When I look at this book, it's really much more of a to-do list for the woman who wants to make that corner office. This is what you need to do in order to be able to get to where you want to be. And we're considering the where we want to be is in the CEO position in the mm-hmm. corner office at the major table where decisions are made. Mm-hmm. That's the scope of this book. And Danae Brown, on the other hand, is the scope of life. Yeah, she looks at, was looking more at life holistically. Um, and I think that some of the other habits that they go into here are, are very valuable. They do feed into that, the idea of the perfection trap that uh, sometimes we are so caught up in it being perfect that we actually never let go and never complete anything. The disease to please. This one was really interesting. I'm listening to it and I think, oh my goodness, I'm so concerned with making sure that we have community, that we are bringing people together, that people have valued and appreciated, that sometimes across the border of enabling behavior. Mm-hmm. And so this desire or this disease to please is really more about understanding that sometimes people can't be comfortable. And sometimes in community, it isn't always happy. And sometimes, yes, you do need to have conflict. And sometimes there are people in your community that shouldn't be there. When I read that section of the book, it was actually really quite germane to me and my situation because I am a community builder. I I want to create a space where people feel valued and appreciated, but not every space is for every person. So That's very wise, yeah. Sarah. For me, if that was the only piece I got out of this book, then I, it was worth <laughs> reading. But, you know, the other thing that it really went into it, and it went into minimizing and holding your space. Don't belittle yourself. Don't go into a space and make yourself small. Ruminating. That's when you replay things over and over and over and over in your head. Let it go and move on. Because it, it doesn't change. You might rethink it multiple times, but the facts are going to remain the same. Well, and I think what happens is when you ruminate, what it changes your perception of it. Um, you might throw a little slant on it, but the bottom line is it, it, it doesn't do you any good, so move on. And then the whole thing of letting your radar distract you is really important. She had an illustration of making a presentation. She was distracted by a person at the, the front of the hall who was looking very disgruntled. Her whole presentation actually fell to pieces because she thought that that person wasn't engaged with what she was saying. Instead, when she got a little bit of feedback afterwards, I think that somebody who had consultant who'd heard her said, well, well, maybe you had a bad day. Don't let what you think other people are thinking about you distract you from your purpose and what you should be doing. Going through the 12, I found little bits of myself and little reminders of how we need to place importance on things that are not so much about getting us to the corner office, but getting us to where we see ourselves and fulfilling our own personal missions. And I think for me, that came out at the very end is, is that what is your personal mission statement? What are your goals in your life? What are your objectives? Because these habits, both negative sides and positive sides to them will, if you understand them and how you engage with them, will allow you to go forward to where you want to be. It gives you a certain amount of comfort who you think you are to who you can possibly be. Well, I think these books, and I I think this was a good read because it makes you think, our purpose changes throughout our lives and we have epiphanies along the way. And what we want one day might not necessarily be what we really want the next day. 
And I think life as a way of smoothing out those moments and talking about this and reading about this to me is very important. Yes, we do minimize ourselves in many ways. And I think that is gender neutral. I think everyone does that in their own way. This seems to be the way the research shows that women do this. So I'm very interested in this book. So thank you for the introduction. Well, you're welcome. What I would actually be intrigued is whether a man could read through this book and see himself in some of those habits. Because I think that some of the material and some of these elements, aspects of life work approach are not necessarily gender specific to women. I do think that there are men who fall into this camp as well. To look at this as a self-help book for women, I think it does it a bit of a disservice. I don't agree with everything that's in the book. And I think there are a few things that I just kind of winced at when I heard. But that's... But that's learning. That's learning. Um, And I saw myself in a lot of it and I didn't see myself in other things. I would be fascinated to get a male perspective on reading this book. If I had the time to read one book, would I read Brenny Brown or would I read this? Brenny Brown. Absolutely. I mean, I love this book, don't get me wrong, but I liked her approach in terms of seeing ourselves as broken people, but with a sense of hope and a willingness to risk. I saw her work as being more about the individual, the personhood. This was about how do you get ahead in business? Two different things. Two different things. And both both value. Both very valuable. And there were things in there that in this book um, that I read that I feel have value for where I want to be as a person. I don't mean to denigrate the book as being very specific only to getting to the corner office. But I think to a degree that was kind of the motive behind reading it. And this would be very beneficial for many women. Absolutely. Because if they are looking for that position, and I have seen many women who've done well in that position, and in fact, we should have more in that position because I think it's when men and women work together. I mean, I believe diversity in everything, don't you? Absolutely. So this has been a great, great meeting. Any last words? Well, it, it did talk about briefly about changing and, and the whole concept of just start with one thing. And don't do it alone and let go of the judgment, judgment for yourself and judgment of others. And remember that you are where you are because of what you've done. Celebrate that. Um, don't, uh, don't in any way denigrate who you are as a person or what you've managed to accomplish, but look to the future and, and decide what you want to be and make that one change to get you there and, and get help doing it. This has been great. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) Well, I'm really looking forward to our next discussion when you are going to share the book that you're reading. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share what I have currently reading. I'm reading Faust now. Uh, That, that, boy, that's quite a book. And it's going to be a long, long journey on that one. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to next time. Well, and uh, we hope that you're looking forward to next time with us. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Sarah. And this is Rebecca. It's been great having you here. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, we'd love to hear your thoughts at thebookdialogue.com or thebookdialogue.ca. I think. (laughs) Thanks for joining us and have a fabulous day wherever you are. Take care.